Welcome to Lakeland Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. Good morning. Welcome in uh, to the official start of fall, because as Mark mentioned, football's real again, and that is a gift to me, but not my wife. So, uh, in case you don't know me, my name is Jason. I'm the next gen pastor here, uh, and we're wrapping up week eight of our series, "The Goat, the Greatest of All Time." Where we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five, six, and seven, where Jesus uh, really unpacks the the significant building blocks of his kingdom, right? And it's really interesting to me because you'll see a lot of the same things that Jesus talked about. Is actually he, he comes back to them later throughout his ministry, and he actually kind of goes back to them over and over again, which makes a lot of scholars believe that the Sermon on the Mount was kind of taught in a way is kind of a basics, memory, beginning 101 type of thing to the kingdom of God, right? It's these tweetable phrases long before Twitter actually existed, and that's how Jesus was speaking, so that his first generation of followers would lock it in and kind of understand them, right? And we do the same thing today. Like, we teach our kids the same way. I mean, if, if you don't believe me, watch this. Uh, lefty, Lucy, righty, Okay, good. That was really high risk for me. Um, really glad it panned out, right? Um, beggars can't be. Two wrongs don't make a better. Yeah, right. Better late than. Okay, good. If you're watching online, they failed all of it. So, like, like we teach our kids the same way. We teach these basic truths, kind of 101 type stuff about life in memorable kind of phrases. And Jesus did the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek, for they shall uh, inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Like, I mean, there's all these phrases in there. And what we're going to see as we wrap up Matthew 7 is actually a lot of those same type of phrases that help us understand things. And I think Jesus started it here and then taught it later in deeper ways because he knew that we would have questions. Because if you've ever been around a child, questions never stop. Right? I mean, like, my eight-year-old, Rory, is a world-class question asker. Right? I mean, like, Olympic-level question asker. Like, every day on the drive to school is, why does that work this way? Why does that work that way? Why did you say this? Why did you say that? Why? I... Sorry. Don't want to bring you into my life too much. So, but it's to prove my point about Olympic-level question asker. Like, last January, we were doing everybody's favorite winter pastime, filing taxes. And we're sitting at the kitchen table, and my daughter comes up, and as an 8-year-old, she carries a 20-minute question-asking spree about taxes. She's like, what are they? Why are they like that? Like, what do you get for that? How much is it? Why is it so much? Is it worth it? Why do you have to pay it? What happens if you don't pay it? Why don't they just tell you what you owe? Like, she's just going. And eventually I'm like, kid, uh, you win. I don't know. Here's five bucks. Just go away. Because if I put the wrong zero in the wrong place, we're either a millionaire or I'm going to jail. Like, those are the only options. But she asked a lot of questions. And we're actually going to see as we pick up Matthew 7 again that Jesus teaches us how we ask God for things. How we ask God for things. So today we're going to move fast. We're going to cover a lot of the rest of chapter 7, basically three kind of big areas at one time. So buckle up, because it starts with Jesus teaching us how to pray, actually. And again, this is the tweetable version of deeper teachings that he does later, right? So he actually starts this. In Matthew 7, 7 and 8, it says this. It says, for, keep on asking, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, 
the door will be opened, right? It's this memorable version of what does it mean to pray and trust God? Well, it means to ask, seek, and knock, right? Like even lefty-loosey, righty-tighty people can understand ask, seek, and knock. But we can get it if we hear this, but it's a big jump from getting it to doing it, right? Because if we're honest, a lot of us are really good about asking, right? But Jesus didn't say ask and go take a nap, Like, asking was the beginning. So there's three steps to actually building a prayer life that reflects the kingdom of God back to God, right? So we'll walk through them really quick here. So the first one you see is ask, right? This is simply asking God to move. That's it. It's asking God to move. It's praying for a preferred future, for a a family member, for healing, for a job, for, for a decision to be made, right? It's asking God to move. But again, way too many of us think we're done at this moment. Right, we ask, we've done it, it's up there, God will do what he wants to, like Amazon Prime will show up with God's delivery a couple days later, like we think we've arrived when we ask. But my challenge here is that asking is actually super passive, right? I can ask for anything, like dear God, right now give me a million dollars when I get off stage. It's really passive. You can ask for anything. But it doesn't mean it's the right thing to ask for, it doesn't mean it's what God wants you to ask for. But the first step is asking. It is asking God to do something, which all of us understand, right? It doesn't matter if you've been in church on accident one time or if you've never been in church. We've all watched a TV show or a Hallmark movie or read a book or seen something where somebody prays, asking God to show up in a miracle, right? So asking, we get this one. It means to ask God to move, but it's the first step because, again, Jesus didn't say ask and you're done. He said, ask and you shall receive seek and you shall find. Seeking means we start to head towards God. To seek means to head towards God, right? It's when we ask God to move in our lives and we actually start pointing our lives that direction as if he was going to answer. It's it's a trust moment. It's active, right? Asking is passive. Seeking is, is active. It means we're going after the thing that we ask God for. And if we're honest, as good of askers as we are, we are just as equally bad at seeking. And here's what I mean. How many of you have prayed a prayer similar to this one? Dear God, help me with my money right now. I need a blessing. Things are tight. Wow, Jesus, did you know Kohl's has a sale? Like, did you know I got some Kohl's cash loitering around? I'm going to go spend 150 bucks real quick. But you got the rest of it, right, God? Like, we have this tendency to ask and then bolt the other direction. That's not seeking. Well, it's self-seeking. But anyway, so that's, that's not my point. Uh, it's not seeking, right? Asking is passive. Seeking is active. But you actually begin to move your life in the direction as if God was going to say yes. It builds your faith. It means you're actively seeking for the thing you ask for. Right? I remember four years ago, actually, around this time of year, I, I, was, I was interviewing for my job here at Lakeland. And I, I was excited and passionate about the idea of coming here and joining this mission and working with you guys. Uh, and my wife and I, we were praying, like, a lot, right? But for the first time in my adult life, I actually started to seek the will of God, too. Like, I actually started to read books and listen to podcasts about what it would mean to be a next-gen pastor, which is my job now, right? I actually started to imagine what if God gave it to me. And as I walked towards God's heart, as I walked in trust towards God, he actually walked and met me there and gave me the answer to my prayer, right? We have to be active in our prayer life or else we're just writing a blank check and hoping God can cash it. So we ask, We ask God to move for us. We seek. We actually move after his will and place our lives in the direction of the thing that we're trusting him for. And the third step that we have to do is we have to knock. And I love this being the last one. You know why? Because everything else up until this point is on us. But ultimately, whether God answers your prayer is on him. Right? 
Asking, passive. Seeking, active. Knocking, patience. Right? Let's put it this way. You can do a lot in your own power, right? It would be creepy, but I could find your address. I believe I could use Apple Maps, and I could drive to your front door. Right? I could ask for your address. I could find it. I could seek your front door and stand in front of it. But eventually, I'm going to come to this point where I'm knocking on it, and it's up to you if or when, and you shouldn't, let me in. Right? Like it, it, all, all of the power is in your hands then. And it's a good reminder that while we ask and while we seek, ultimately the decision lies with God. Ultimately, he decides if or when to say yes. And this is a big deal because it, it, it's hard to hear. A lot of times God will, will say no to something that we think is very good. A lot of times he will let something happen that we think is very tough. Right? But this knock means we're sitting there and we're waiting for the door to open. We're waiting for God's answer. We're waiting to see what he would do. And this can either be exciting or it can be frustrating. Right? Knocking can be frustrating. But then when God opens that door, it's so exciting. And this whole thing, this ask, seek, and knock, it is incredibly unique to our faith. Right? I just want, I just want to draw like, the attention in, in how much honor we should feel that we can ask, seek, and knock the creator of the universe to give us something we hope for. Right? I mean, let's put it this way. Like, a king does, no, owes no gift to a servant. They don't. A king owes nothing to a servant. But yet the king of the universe is willing for us to ask, seek, and knock, and he looks forward to giving us blessings. Right? The creator of the universe is endlessly enthralled with every single piece of you. He wants to hear everything you're going through in every up, down, sideways, mediocre day, every Monday. Every, he wants to hear all of it. And sometimes, sometimes we ask and then we stop and we wonder why God didn't move. We only did one-third of the equation. Now, for a lot of you, I, I, I have to be honest, and I think Jesus knew this tension was coming, right? Because for a lot of you, this idea that God is waiting to give gifts like, doesn't quite sit right. It doesn't make sense necessarily what you've seen in life, and, and that's okay, I understand, right? But again, the, the king of the universe is so intensely invested and interested in you that he's ready to hear you ask, seek, and knock for whatever's on your mind. And Jesus, almost as if understanding that this was so incredibly unique, he had to give us handles around it. He had to help us understand how this could be true. The next thing he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount actually says this in Matthew 7, 9. It actually says this, for you parents, if your children's children, child is plural, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Maybe. Or... If they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? No, that's where we draw the line in my house is venomous creatures, right? Of course not. Of course you don't. If your kid asks for something, you're not giving them the worst version of that thing, right? Of course not. So, so if you sinful people, you broken people of this world, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him, right? Jesus understanding that this asking, seeking, knocking thing is so incredibly unique to the kingdom that he was bringing us actually shows us and helps us understand that while God is creator and king of the universe, he is also our heavenly father. He is also our heavenly father that is intensely interested and invested in us. He wants to give us good things. He wants to give us great things, Right, I think of it this way, and I've never been, but I've heard stories from people that have seen like a true artwork masterpiece in their life, and it takes their breath away. 
right? Like the Mona Lisa, the Starry Night, the, okay, yeah, that's about the breadth of my art knowledge. But like I've heard you go and you see these things and your breath is taken away by the details and the scope and the grandeur and, and you're taken away by how incredible this thing was that was created. And then on your way out, the gift shop tries to hawk you a postcard version. And you buy it and you're like, cool, I'll remember this day forever. Now, here's what I think Jesus is trying to say. Us, as broken, sinful people, we know how to give the postcard version. We know how to give the postcard version of the Mona Lisa to someone to say, like, this is nice, I thought of you. Well, God has the entire masterpiece version ready to give us. He's excited to give it to us. Now, again, I know when we talk about God being a good heavenly father, in today's day, and back then too, but especially in today's day, we lose about a third of the audience instantly. Because you, and maybe if you're in this room, maybe if you're watching online, maybe you know someone or maybe it's you that has such deep-rooted pain in their lives, you can't understand God as a good father. It doesn't make sense. It's not something that you look forward to. Whether it's a broken relationship in your life, whether it's a parent relationship or a spouse relationship or a friend, like you've seen enough harm done through relationships here that this idea of God being a good father doesn't compete with you and it can actually become a stumbling block that the enemy uses to stop your faith. But I need you to hear this. I need you to trust me on this. That just because you can't see God as a good father doesn't mean he isn't one. Just because in the moment you can't see that he is good and protecting and giving doesn't mean he isn't good and protecting and giving. I remember when I was a teenager, like a lot of teenagers, like I struggled with my dad, right? Like I thought he was like mean and overbearing and I actually, I, I talk a lot. So I would actually tell him that like he was a bad dad all the time, right? Because he was just different from my friend's dad's. My friend's dad's didn't care what we did, right? Now granted, I grew up in a cornfield, okay? So like... By us going to do stuff, we hung out in the Walmart parking lot. We went to a driving range, and we did donuts in a cornfield. So like, I get, like, not to say my friend's parents were bad parents. They just understood there's only three things you can do in town, and all of them are legal. So we would, like, go, and, like, my friend's parents wouldn't care if we started at Drew's house and ended at Gary's or added Alex or, like, whatever. Like, they were fine with whatever. My dad, though, asked a lot of questions. And he'd be like, why are you going? Because my friends are going, what are you going to do? Drive in a cornfield. Why? Because it's corn. Like, what else are we going to do? It's Tuesday night. You know, and he would ask these questions. A lot of times he would say no. He'd be like, no, I don't think that's worth your time. Like, like I don't think that sounds like a good idea. I think you'd get in some trouble. Like, he would actually say no, and I would be on the outside of my friends having fun. And in those moments, I sat there, and I'm like, man, my dad is such a mean dad. He's such a bad dad. Like, like why can't I just have... Rick or Pam or like my parents or my friend's parents. Like, why can't I have these people? Right? And then a few years later, when I actually got into like adulthood, I realized that like I'm the person I am because my dad let me go through those things. The reason I can ask questions is because my dad showed me how to ask questions. He wasn't being needlessly hard. He was showing me how to ask questions. The reason I have a work ethic is because, Jesus, because my dad would actually sit there and he would actually say, like, is that worth your money? And I'd say, well, Probably not, and he'd say, okay, good. Right, like, for years, I didn't think my dad was a good dad. I thought he was mean. But in reality, he was using that season to make me into the person that I needed to become. So if you're sitting there and you're wondering, how can God be a good father if my past looks like this, or if my present feels tense, or if my future is uncertain, like, why would a good father let that happen? Well, let me challenge you on that. Just because he's letting you experience something doesn't mean he's not still there with you. 
doesn't mean he's not still walking alongside you caring for you. Because we can ask, seek, and knock the creator of the universe to care about us and give us things. And he listens and he looks forward to giving them to us because, because he loves us as a good father. Now, here's the truth, though. For a lot of people, their struggle with God being a good father isn't a struggle with God. It's actually a struggle based in their lives, right? Your struggle with God could be a result of the faith foundation you've actually built. Your struggle with God may not be a result of him. It may be a result of you. Because here's what I know, and I'll just be the first one to say it. I am the common denominator for all the things wrong in my life. Like, I cannot get out of my way. As much as I try, I screw up the future for me all the time. Right, so let me ask you. If you feel like God is distant or God is not a father that cares, just for the next 15 minutes, entertain the idea that maybe the problem is in you and not in him. Maybe. Because this chapter almost comes to a head here. This back part of this chapter almost comes to a head where where Jesus sees that we can ask, seek, and knock of God as a good heavenly father. And then God wants to answer and give us blessings because he is a good heavenly father. But Jesus actually warns us that a crash is coming. See, because God is a good father, he'll hear from us. Because God is a good father, he'll give to us. And because God is a good father, he wants to protect us. Which is why the next thing we see is in Matthew 7, 24, where Jesus actually teaches through a story about how the crash is coming, right? So it actually starts in this, in Matthew 7, 24. It says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. He keeps going. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now, God is a good father, wants to hear from us, wants to bless us, and wants to protect us. So he warns us that the crash is coming and our foundations matter. What we build in our foundation matters, right? And I think this is so interesting because uh, I've said this up here before, and if you don't remember, that's okay, but there's this pastor in Oklahoma named Craig Rochelle, and a few years ago, he said it this way, and it stuck with me ever since. There are three seasons in life. I'm in a crash, I just came out of a crash, or I'm about to go into a crash. <laughs> You're in one of the three, welcome to the team, right? Like, I mean, like, he, taught, he's, he said that a few years ago, like maybe five, six years ago, but it stuck with me like fresh all the time. Where if you're in a moment of peace, that's a blessing. It's not going to be forever. If you're in a crash, that's a struggle, but it's also not going to be forever. But remember, because God is good, because God is caring, he wants to hear from us, bless us, and protect us. So Jesus tells us that the crash is on the way, right? And what you do in the moment when the crash is on the way, it counts. The effort you put forward to your foundation counts. Your materials matter. And the problem when you feel a struggle might not be with God. It's probably with you. Because how you prep for the crash matters. If the crash is coming, how are we going to prep? I mean, think about like real physical life, right? Like when you see something bad coming, what do you do? You prepare. You know, in my house, when we see a tornado watch or tornado warning flash up, and maybe we're weird about this, probably, like the first thing we do is actually we charge our phones, right? Like we pop our phones on the charger no matter what because we want to follow the weather, we want to have flashlights, and let's be honest, we want to give the kids YouTube kids so they can shut up. Um, in the basement, right? We prep for it, right? I mean, think about like, like when you see like uh, a blizzard being forecast, right? What do you do? You go to the store and you buy milk and bread. I don't know why. 
There's something deep in our Midwestern DNA that it does not matter if you're lactose intolerant and gluten-free. You are going to the store to buy milk and bread when you see six inches of snow in the forecast. You just prepare, right? The next time there's a worldwide pandemic, what are we buying? Toilet paper, right? Like we prepare when the crash is on the way. And yet when our spiritual lives crash, we're surprised. When life, when real life attacks our spiritual lives and our foundation doesn't stand up, we go, what? I didn't put, what what do you mean? And I hope I've built your trust enough to say this. And if not, I'll apologize to you in the lobby. Maybe. You cannot build a stand up when life comes, when the crash comes faith with a 65 minute a week faith. You can't. You can't. Like, when the crash comes, if all you've put in is 65 minutes of attending Lakeland, as great as this place is and as lucky as we are to share in this slice of heaven, like, like as great as this place is, if that's all you've put in is 65 minutes every couple weeks, the crash will win. The foundation won't last. So if God is a good father is warning us that we need to protect and prepare, then we better figure out how to protect and prepare. So in our last 10 minutes here, I, I want to help you find three things you can do as you do a, a foundation assessment, right? like a building inspector. Like you can inspect your own foundation and decide if it's strong enough for the next crash. And you can actually diagnose where it needs to be strengthened. All right, so the first thing we're going to do is we prepare for the next crash. As we build a firm foundation is we're going to start fresh. We're going to look to Jesus. And we have to start here because I got to tell you, if you could fix you, you would have already. If you could make next time different than last time, you would have figured out how. But you can't. There's only so much you can do to provide and protect for yourself. You have to build your foundation on Jesus. The cornerstone has to be Jesus. The only person that can bring you new hope tomorrow is Jesus. The only person that can pick up the pieces is Jesus. And if you try to skip this step, if you try to build it on your own power, it will crash. It has to start with Jesus. It's why years after Jesus, Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote this letter to the church in Rome, and he actually put it this way in Romans 10, 9. He says says this, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you will be saved. Saved for eternity, yes, but also saved from this life's crash. It's a now and not yet thing. Actually, this is bonus. This wasn't at nine o'clock. My favorite professor in college actually told us that the kingdom of God is uniquely here and not yet. Like we can experience it here, but also know that we have not experienced it fully until heaven. So this saving thing is the same thing, right? It is a here, but not yet. For if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you will be saved here and not yet, here and in the future. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Saved. The foundation is strong, not because of anything you did, but because of everything that Jesus did. Tomorrow only can look different with Jesus. And if you hear one thing from me today, especially if you came in with a foundation in shambles, it is this, and you have my permission to start checking fantasy football scores. Like, start with Jesus. Get that right and watch everything else fall in place. If you get this right, Jesus will make your life better and he'll make you better at life. So the first thing we can do is start with Jesus. Where are we at with Jesus? Do we have a real relationship? Are we faking it? Are we pretending it? Are we skipping it? 
or we just still think we can do it in our own power. Start with Jesus. The second thing we do is we check our firm foundations. We begin to learn how to move intentionally, right? Because small steps add up. If you could complete a goal in a day, it's not a goal, it's a to-do list, right? Like if you're trying to rebuild your life's foundation in a day, you're not gonna get there. It's gonna take time. And small steps add up. Putting time in and effort in adds up. Again, you won't have a stand up to the crash faith if you give it a 65 minute a week effort. So what time are you spending with God? What version of him are you giving? Or what version of you are you giving him? Sorry. Are you giving him the last five minutes when you fall asleep going and you're praying, dear God, Jesus, right? Are you giving him that? Or are you giving him your best fruits, your top effort? Are you giving him your best time? Right, I love this because 38 times in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, the four books in our New Testament that record the life of Jesus, uh, 38 times in the New Testament it talks about Jesus leaving his group to go pray. 38 times. I just picked one. Mark 1.35 says this, that before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Right, let's just, let's do a gut check here, okay? And I'm not pointing any fingers If the Son of God, who is fully God and fully human here on earth, needs time to pray, what are you doing? Right? Like, if he needs time to connect with God, like, why are you thinking we can condense it and make it smaller, right? Technology didn't do that much. Like, you still need to spend time with God. You need to pray, read your Bible, worship. Yes, come to church, join a group of believers that push you further. Serve, make an impact. This is my shameless plug. Join the Next Gen team. Uh, You can jump in, and you can make an eternal impact and make small steps add up to an eternal difference. Materials matter. Your effort matters. Nothing gets built on accident. So are you going to start taking intentional steps? Are you going to invest in your foundation before the crash comes instead of being surprised when the crash comes? So the third thing we'll do. Again, we'll start with Jesus. We'll move intentionally. And then we're going to look honestly. We're going to have to evaluate our life. So there's this battle tactic that was used in the American Revolutionary War. And I don't know how they found this out. People are smart or lucky. The Americans, we won that one, by the way. Hamilton told me so. So the Americans, they figured out that when the British were trying to create concrete to move supplies and men, that if they added like a spoonful of sugar, it would wreck miles worth of concrete. I don't know who got unlucky enough to found that out. But they decided, they learned that like a little bit of the wrong thing could wreck weeks and months worth of work. A little bit of sugar would deteriorate that road, and it would start fine, and it would start collapsing in on itself, and then the British would have to waste time digging it up and relaying it down. A little bit of the wrong thing wrecks a lot of the right thing. And Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews 12.1, he puts it this way. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Now, we talked about this in Lakeland Students on Wednesday night. This is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, so you're welcome. But here's what it says. I love this, right? Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses to this life of faith, the people that are one step ahead of us, that's all that means. Yes, there are heavenly witnesses and angels and saints that are watching over us, but the people that are just one step ahead of us, right? Since they're surrounding us, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. So let's tackle this backwards for a second, okay? We understand the sin that trips us up right? It's the stuff that all over the New Testament talks about. It's the, it's the anger, the hatred, the malice, the rage, the gossip, the slander, the addiction, the lust, the, the adultery. It's, yeah, okay, that's all of us. So 
Sin obviously breaks us. And if you're new to the church thing, sin is something that breaks. It's an act. It's an emotion. It's a moment that breaks God's heart because it's not in his character. But it also breaks his heart because sin hurts us and because sin hurts the people around us. Those actions hurt us. They hurt the people around us. So God is like triple hurt and offended when we sin because we're breaking the people around us. We're breaking ourselves, right? All sin knows how to deal is steal, kill, and destroy joy, right? So we have to cast it off. By the way, you know how to do that? Jesus. It all starts with Jesus. Right? So yes, we have to throw off sin and start with Jesus. But look at this. I love this one. Actually, I love hate this, right? Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Do you know there are things in your life that are not sin that can still keep you from God? Right? Let's put it this way. This is a national holiday, in my opinion. NFL week one. I'm glad we've mentioned it three times. You people that hate football are never coming back. Right? This is a big deal to me. But the second my hobby of watching football keeps me from connecting with God, it's no longer innocent. It's a weight that slows me down. Is watching football a sin? Inherently, no, much to my wife's chagrin. But if it keeps me from God, is it a weight that slows me down? Yes. Your hobbies, right? Your, 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 your kids' hobbies, your school hobbies, shopping, reading books, yard work, barbecue, like whatever you're into. Are those things inherently a sin? No, there are actually many masterpieces that God gave your life to be exciting and fun. But the second they become more important than God, are they a weight that slow you down? Absolutely. Social media, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, email, are they inherently sin? No. If they get in our way of building our foundation with God, are they weights that slow us down? Yes. Because a little bit of the wrong thing can destroy a whole bunch of the right thing. And those British roads looked fine until they weren't. And your foundation, if you build a foundation with still a bunch of the wrong stuff, with these weights that slow us down, the sin that tangles us up, if you try to build a foundation with those things around, it may look good until the moment it doesn't. Our foundation matters, the materials we use matters. So Jesus wraps up his Sermon on the Mount by talking about how we can ask, seek, and knock the creator of the universe to give us blessings. That he wants to give us blessings. He wants to hear from us and give us blessings because he's a good father. And that as a good father, he wants to protect us and let us know that the crash is coming. And I know this because in my life, my foundation was not strong enough for a very long time. And I've shared bits and pieces of the story up here, so I won't go super into detail, but my dad passed away when I was 18, right? And in that moment, like, I was, I was, I luckily, I I rounded out the frustration part of him, so, like, we were good. But when he passed away, like, I was so mad at God. I didn't believe God was a good father. I didn't believe he had anything good in store for me. I didn't want to hear from him, talk to him, believe in him, whatever. But I was surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that lent me their foundation when I needed one that helped me believe in their foundation when I had none of my own. And through them, I learned to ask, seek, and knock and to believe that God was a good father. I stand here, a man who loves God, a husband who puts God in front of our marriage, and a father who hopefully teaches my children about God, not because of anything I did, but because of the great cloud of witnesses that pointed me back to Jesus. So if you are in a stable place and your foundation is secure, congratulations, do not waste that blessing. It is your duty, your honor, and your privilege to lend that foundation out to the people that need it most. 
Do that in your regular life. Do that in work. Do that here when you serve. Lend your foundation to the people that need it most. We also know this, that if you came in today with a foundation in crumbles, I need you to know that your story's not done. That your foundation can be rebuilt. That tomorrow doesn't have to look like before. That there can be hope in the face of hopelessness. And it all starts with Jesus. See, Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount to tell us that the kingdom of God was unlike anything we have ever seen before. And we stand here today living in the blessing of the fact that the kingdom of God is unlike anything we've seen yet. Ask, seek, knock to the good Father so that he can protect you and build your foundation. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we know that life is hard. Lord, that the sin that binds us up and the things that weigh us down, sometimes it feels like they're winning, God, but in your name and in your power, they don't have to. That those scars from the past can be healed and left behind, that the insecurity about the future can be full of security in your name, Lord. So right now, over every rubble piece and every foundation crack and every hole and every break, we speak the name of Jesus that you would heal, that you would bring a future, that you would launch us into something different right here and right now, God. If we have a foundation that is secure, Lord, we count it as a blessing and we praise your name for it. But we don't take it for granted. We don't take it as a privilege. We know we have to work on it. And we know we get the chance to lend it out to the people around us. So Lord, right now, if we have a firm foundation, put someone in our mind that needs it and help us to lend it out to them. And God, if we came in with a broken story, if we wish the book was over, if we were closing that page, God, I pray that today, right now, this moment starts a new chapter. That in your son's name and in the power of the blood and the grace of Jesus, that we can start a new chapter, build a new foundation, throw away the old one, start from scratch and start with Jesus. God, move us. Change us. Make us into your people to reflect your heart with your foundation so that we can change the world. It all starts with Jesus. And in Jesus' name, we say amen. Thank you, guys, for being here. We'll start a new series next week. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you'd like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to the mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.